Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hotels That Kill. (laughs) (laughs) We thought it would be really fun to explore just hotels with a really dark past. Yeah. And just very strange occurrences that have happened inside these hotels. I think that's a very common horror movie trope. It's like, something's going on in the hotel. And I always enjoy those. And we started researching this looking at just the Cecil Hotel. And then we decided to expand it because we wanted to talk about more hotels because we found some other ones that were particularly spooky. Yeah. And I love going on trips to these haunted hotels and staying the night in them. So I will be talking about at least one that I have stayed in personally. And it's just it's fascinating that when a hotel, I don't know, becomes a dark spirit. It continually happens, it seems, right? Like bad things just continue one after another to happen in these places. Yeah, it's almost kind of like, just follow me here. You get a little crack on your windshield and then you run over a bump (laughs) and it's like bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like, it's a little darkness gets in and then it's darker and darker and darker and darker. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's a darkness (laughs) science. That's You know me. Thank you, doctor. So the hotels we're going to talk about today are the Cecil Hotel, H.H. Holmes castle as well as hotel san carlos and one of the things that i really like about these three in particular is that they're very different in the darkness that they have and like the reputation they have would you agree yeah yeah some embrace it and some are trying to get away from it and rebrand yeah so one of the things that we found as we researched was that two of the three hotels that we're looking at and lots of hotels generally actually have a higher instance of people dying by suicide, which seemed very strange to me. And so we looked into why that might be. And I saw a few different articles, but there was one in particular where it was a crime scene investigator from Seattle named Chris Veggers. And he said, people don't want to inflict the kind of damage a suicide does on their home. So they go to hotels. A lot would also rather their family not find them. And it happens a lot more than you think, which I thought that was fascinating. I guess it's intuitive when you think like, why would you do it there as opposed to home? But that's one of the reasons why you see it over and over in hotels or motels or places where people are staying that aren't theirs. I guess that makes sense. And also... In 1912, the Washington Post reported there was one person who wanted to build a hotel for suicides in Washington, D.C. His name was Count August Seymour. All right. So he was a vampire. He absolutely was a vampire. So I was going to say, I was like, that name alone, most likely to want to build a killing hotel. You know what I mean? Aside from somebody else who we'll talk about later. I wonder if that was in his yearbook photo, like underneath his name. I'm sure it was. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. If you have Count in the front of your name, I'm only picturing Count Chocula. Absolutely. I can't. There's no one else. There's no one else I can picture. And he's the greatest. He is the greatest Count. Ah, ah, ah. So, so, okay. So how Count August Seymour's suicide hotel would work is that guests would check into their, quote, eternal restroom, which sounds like a forever bathroom, by the way. And they would take a complimentary sedative. Then they would press a button on the side of the bed so that the front desk clerk would know that they were ready and that the front desk clerk would like turn on the gas. 
Oh. And the remains would then be taken to a crematorium that would be located on the roof. And this would also be a power source for the hotel. Economical. Now, this was in 1912. And it's interesting because these ideas are not unique. And we'll get into it in a little bit. But this was never built. But there was something that I think he based this on. That's very interesting. And it's interesting that they were making a hotel of it or, you know, wanted to make a hotel of it. Whereas people have tried to do that with like doctors, right? Like doctors have tried to basically make it available like a humane euthanasia. Yeah. Yeah. And they haven't been able to for the most part. Yeah. And in 1912, they're like, well, we'll privatize it. The American way. Privatize it. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Make it a fun hotel. I wonder what the lobby would be like. I don't know. I just found this to be like a very depressing plan. And like, do they have different levels of rooms? No, I'm picturing they're all the same. Do they have a suite versus like the twin bed? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I don't know. I will say that I like read on what happens to a hotel room when someone dies in it. And I fell down an Instagram hole because... It never occurred to me. Okay. I know it should have. But people who are like coroners and medical examiners who come pick up bodies, people who are crime scene investigators, they have Instagrams. Yep. And so like I found a couple and I was like scrolling through and I was like, oh, goodness. And they were talking about like if you stay at certain motels that there's like a higher likelihood that someone has died in the room you're in. What? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Interesting. Are you ready to not be okay? Okay. Yeah. Sometimes they don't get rid of the sheets. Ew, that's yucky. One person was like, I always make sure I take the bedding as well so that it's not cleaned and reused. I don't like that. I do not like that at all. And so what this made me think of was just like a new book idea. And it would be Dead Man Sheets, the story of a medium who finds herself in bed with a ghost. There you go. Fantastic. I can't wait for you to write this. Just like a, a snoozy little medium. You know what? So another quick story. When I was in middle school, my best friend actually lived at a mortuary. Like Sabrina? Kind of. Her mom her mom was an embalmer and they had like a little house built attached to the mortuary. So when I would stay the night there, it would be like just a wall or two over was where they kept all the dead bodies. That's why you are the way you are. Probably. That's where your like love of spooky comes from. <laughs> I, I feel like it was before that, but I remember like certain nights I'd be there and her mom would be like, oh, I have to go pick up a body. I'll be back. Maybe it's kind of nice to be that familiar with death. That's not scary and looming and like when I die, I die. Throw my vessel in the trash. <laughs> I don't know what happens after. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> like whatever's cheaper. Yeah. I'm like, just really get rid of it. If, if you need to save it in some way to make you feel nice or hole or closure or whatever, like go for it. But you want to make me a tree pod? Great. Yeah. Throw me out with Sunday trash? Great. I mean, it's not legal, but can't see why it's not. Anywho, Amanda, would you like to start talking about the Cecil Hotel? Yeah. So the Cecil Hotel is located in Los Angeles and it was rebranded in 2011 to stay on Maine, but it was originally the Cecil Hotel. Now, I have always had a fascination with very strange hotels. I don't know why. Whenever we pass one, I'm like, 
that looks creepy as shit. I want to stay there. <laughs> oh, I'll get murdered there. It's can we book it? Can we go to there? Can we get murdered there? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I've always had like this connection with this one. I, I actually did grow up in California, too. So this has been one of my favorites. Anyways, it is not in a very good neighborhood. It is very close to Skid Row. And as of right this moment, it is still closed for renovations. And I'm hoping because I've seen articles from a couple years back that it was supposed to open in 2021. So I'm hoping with all the nonsense happening that it didn't get pushed back. Yeah. Because I want to go there and stay the night. I have never had the opportunity to stay there. Now, a couple fun facts about the hotel. American Horror Story Hotel used it as an inspiration for the Hotel Cortez. Something that Lindsay will talk about later, the Hotel Cortez was also loosely based on H.H. Holmes' Chicago Hotel. And that one's a very interesting one, too. So they sort of like combined both of them yeah. to make that season. And I love American Horror Story. Wasn't my favorite of seasons, but it was a very pretty season to watch. Yeah, the the hotel in that was stunning. Mm -hmm. And I also, I love like era-specific clothing. Me too. It doesn't matter which era. I like all of them. I would not wear all of them, but I love them all to gaze upon. And they really do have like every era of clothing in that. And I'm like, oh, I like their outfit. Oh, look at them. Oh, look at them. Oh, look at them. And when you look at scenes from hotel, like the lobby area and like the check-in counter, it does look a lot like the Cecil. And I will say too, some people call it the Cecil, which I don't know what's right. I think the Cecil, I hear that more. But yeah, some people call it the Cecil. I uh, would not call it the Cecil. I feel like I pronounce words wrong all of the time, but I feel confident this is Cecil. Yeah. Anyways, so the hotel was built in 1924 by William Banks Hanner, and it was designed by Loy Lester Smith. It was built with 700 rooms. It was very luxurious, and it officially opened on December 20th, 1927. You could still find like the posters from its opening online, and I, I love like the old school posters. It's so cool. Yeah, we can post it on our Instagram too, because I the ones I saw were like gorgeous. And when you picture them with what it becomes, especially like yeah. a few decades <laughs> later, you're like, oh. That went downhill very quickly. Right? Well, I want to get them printed. I need to find a good uh, a good artist that's like redone it because, weird fun fact, in my bedroom, I have pictures of real haunted houses, either that I've taken myself or that I've purchased that are too far for me to travel to. I love spooky things, but not in my bedroom because I'm already running through like what could happen while I'm sleeping, what the ghost Marge in my house is doing. Also, I don't know if I've mentioned it on here, but we have a weird anomaly where we keep hearing footsteps in our house and there's nobody walking. So I feel like if I had pictures of haunted houses in my actual bedroom, I don't think I could snooze. I love it. I love the history of it. And like a lot of them are the ones that we've been to. So it's like memories. So it's like, oh, that was a great trip. <laughs> okay. Vacation photos. I can I can get there. I guess. Well, I've, I've made them in like creepy frames and, you know, black and white and all of that. But I, I really do want one of the opening posters now for this. Now seeing it again. I haven't looked into it for a while, but now I need that. So the idea when it opened was to appeal to traveling businessmen and tourists. So again, it was like really fancy and pretty and they, they spent a lot of money making it. But things changed shortly after. So the Great Depression hit the U.S. in 1929. And the hotel actually did do well until around the 40s. And then it started to slowly decline. They had to lower the rates 
so that they could match like the surrounding area because everything was kind of going downhill. So as the area declined, they were unable to attract the same high-end clientele. The area then became full of drug addicts, sex workers, and it even attracted a couple famous serial killers. And it seems like there's always kind of been a darkness with the Cecil Hotel. And we'll talk more about how, but it seems like from the start, it was pretty dark. So the earliest death that we could find was on November 19th of 1931. A man had checked in under the name James Willies, and he was originally from Chicago. His real name was W.K. Norton. He was at the hotel about a week before he decided to ingest poison capsules. A maid had found him a few hours after he had died. And according to a newspaper article that was in the Los Angeles Times, the reason why they thought that he had ingested poison capsules is because they also found extra capsules in his vest pocket. So as we mentioned before, suicides are more common at hotels or motels, and the Cecil was no exception. There are many suicides. Some people jumped from the building. One person, when they jumped, they even fell into another person who was walking below and killed them both. Right. And at first they thought that person had also jumped too. Yeah. But his hands were in his pockets, right? Yeah. And his shoes were still on. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing to like pick up on. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're just like, people fall from this building all the time. Like these two people did. And they're like, oh, wait, that person was just out for a walk. Oof, bad timing. Very bad timing. No. So there were also people who shot themselves. One person slit their own throat with a razor. There were other poisonings. But so for the people that jumped off of the building, there is even one person who hasn't been identified. And she checked in under a fake name in the 70s and they never found out who she was. Right. And it seems like that trend continues through some of these hotels Mm -hmm. that they use fake names. And then just like by happenstance, they're able to find out who it was. Yeah. And so I think sometimes it's interesting because when we talked about in the beginning is that one of the reasons that people might choose to end their life in this way is because they don't want their family members to find them. And this is the exact opposite of that, right? Like your family member finding you, it's your family doesn't even know what happened to you. Like they don't even know. Right. Because, yeah, so sad. So also there were some murders that happened at the hotel. One woman whose name was Dorothy Jean Purcell was staying in a room with her boyfriend. What I found odd was she was only 19 and he was 38. That's quite the difference. She didn't know she was pregnant and she ended up having a baby boy in the bathroom. And from what she testified and how a lot of people tell the story is she didn't want to wake up her sleeping boyfriend. And then she thought the baby was dead. So she threw him out the window. So here are my questions. The first is this. I have never birthed a child. Amanda, do you think that you could be quiet enough so that your husband wouldn't wake up if you were birthing a child in the next room? Was he a heavy sleeper? Was she quiet? I don't know. I've read several articles on it. And sometimes because the story has been told so many times, I do believe that people are putting their own information into some of these stories. Mm hmm. But some of them say like she just had these really bad pains and didn't know what was wrong and then ended up having him. But she was very, very quiet and yeah, did her best not to wake him. I don't know if he had a temper. Mm. I've read that. But again, that's just from stories. That's heartbreaking. And I don't understand why she wouldn't even tell him. Uh, Maybe he had another family. 
I I really can't find additional details on him. I can't even imagine like the quick processing your brain is doing in those moments. You know what I mean? Like I was pregnant. I am birthing a child. Here is a child. And you didn't know you were pregnant for the past nine months. Yeah. And postpartum brain can do very intense things to a woman's brain. So, yeah. Well, the sad part of this is outside of, you know, throwing a baby out a window, the Los Angeles Times published an article in September of 1944. And towards the end of the article, it said the baby was born alive because the autopsy showed the baby's lungs had filled with air. I would think that he would have been crying then if his lungs were filled with air. He would have gasped, right? I wonder also, like, baby comes out, doesn't immediately cry. She just throws him. And, like, that breath is outside. But she'd have to cut the umbilical cord. She'd have to do that. And then also, I don't think that there's uh, windows in the bathroom. I think she would have had to enter the actual bedroom. So I, I really don't know. And I saw differing accounts on whether she went up to the roof or she threw him from her bedroom window, too. Oh, yeah. And and he did land on a neighboring building. So she was charged with murder later, but then was found not guilty by reason of insanity. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's also rumors that circulated that Elizabeth Short, or the Black Dahlia, had drinks at the hotel bar days before her death. And people are very, very argumentative at this. Some are like, yep, that's 100% true. That's what happened. Then others are like, you just want that story to be real. So it's real for you, but it's not. There's no proof. So I can't confirm one way or another, but it is interesting because the timeline would kind of match up. And so and if you don't know about the Black Dahlia murder, it was pretty gruesome, I feel like, especially for that time period. But so in 1947, Elizabeth Short, her body was found at Lemert Park in Los Angeles, and her body had been cut in half. And all of her blood had been drained out. Then on the corners of her mouth were cut all the way like up to her ears. So if you think the Joker, like, you want to know how I got these scars? Like that kind of thing. She also had cuts on her breasts and thighs. And there were whole pieces of skin that were just missing. Pretty gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. She was also beaten. And her cause of death was ultimately from the lacerations and a hemorrhage on her head because she had been hit in the face. So she was like brutally murdered. So they they believe it was days before her murder, but there is no way of proving if she was there or not. It just was a place that she could have hung out. So I had originally thought that they were closer to one another, the park where she was found and stay on Main. But it looks like it was about like five to six miles away, which not far, but certainly not right around the corner or anything like that. Yeah, I think it was just the type of place she would have hung out is probably where the rumor came from. Makes sense. There was no uh, cameras or anything to prove that at that moment. (laughs) Fair, fair. So another murder that happened was on June 4th, 1964. The woman's name was Goldie Osgood, but she went by the name Pigeon because she was commonly found feeding the birds. I love that, though. Sweet lady who just hangs out the park feeding birds. Right. So she was found dead in her room and she had been strangled, raped, stabbed and beaten. And then her room was ransacked. The autopsy noted that she was choked to death with a hand towel and she had lived in her hotel room for six years. So she was a very commonly seen person at this place. Yeah. So Jaquez Ellinger was charged for the murder after walking through a local park in bloody clothes. However, he was cleared and her murder remains unsolved. There was also similar murders in the area in May and in April, but this one was never actually solved. Blows my mind. So 
In the early to mid 80s, Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker, lived on the top floor of the Cecil Hotel. And he paid $14 a night, which feels so cheap (laughs) for lodging anywhere. Yeah. And so it's thought that what he would do is he would go do his murdering. Then he would throw his blood-soaked clothes in a nearby dumpster and that he would just skitter into the back entrance before going up to his room. And the crowd... And and so him walking in in his underpants was not like a red flag to anyone. They were like, just another day at the Cecil Hotel, right? So I was like, what an interesting thing. It's super chill. That's how shitty it was. Yeah. People were like, (laughs) underpants, man, no bigs. Right? And he was scary. Yeah, he's not somebody who I want to see in his underpants. No, he was an intimidating looking person. Yeah. But imagine blood all over him, stumbling in. Yeah. And just, he looks terrifying. I mean, after when he was arrested and got his teeth fixed, he didn't look as bad, but oh my gosh. It almost looked like different people. But so in 1991, an Austrian serial killer named Jack Underweger stayed in the hotel while he went on a murder spree. And I found him fascinating. So he's been called the Austrian Jack the Ripper. And there's a few different like parallels that we're going to talk about today. But calling someone Jack the Ripper is basically saying like, this is the worst murderer that we've had. That's who this is. Mm hmm. And we're going to have an episode one day on Jack the Ripper because favorite, if I had to pick one, just because I find that true crime story so compelling because it changed the way police worked and it changed the way people looked at murder and why people murder and how things work. Also, my dad wrote a comic about Jack the Ripper, so it's in my blood. Anywho, he was the Austrian Jack the Ripper. And so we're going to talk about about his story just just a touch because it is so interesting and it's all what leads him to the Cecil. Yeah. So he was sentenced to life in prison in the 70s because he had strangled a woman with her own bra, which is a very specific tool, correct? Yeah. What an MO and very recognizable, right? Yeah. It's just crazy that he he did that. And then what happens next? You know, doing it again. Yeah. And so while he's in prison, he starts to write and he becomes a famous writer. And so in 1984, his book becomes a bestseller and then later becomes a film. So folks loved him so much that they petitioned for his release. And among the people petitioning were politicians, which I thought was very interesting that politicians were like, release this murderer. He writes well. Yeah. I don't care if you can write a fantastic haiku. You murdered someone. Right. Well, they 100% were bought in that he was 100% rehabilitated. He was a good guy. He's done his time. Well, they were wrong. And, you know, now now he can write and tell beautiful stories. And he's so talented that we're just wasting his life, leaving him in prison. And I think this is one of the most irritating things that hasn't left our society is that you could be charming and well-liked and a useful member of society while also being a murdering scumbag or rapist or any number of terrible things. And that has to be worse than the fact that maybe one day you'll invent a very effective battery or write a very good book. Like, it makes me mad. It makes me really mad that we always go, but that man could have been so great. I don't give a shit. Don't do bad things. I feel strongly, (laughs) especially because he served the minimum sentence of 15 years in prison and then he was released. And like Amanda said, they believed he was rehabilitative. And so he hosted a TV program after he was released and it was like very well loved and very well received. And he became a journalist and he he went to L.A. to write about crime and sex work in 1991. And he stayed at the Cecil. Hmm, How interesting that he stayed at the Cecil. 
And so he stays there for five weeks. And during this time, the LAPD lets him go on ride along so he can see them up close so he can write better. And some people think that he was scouting his next murder because during his five week visit, three sex workers were killed and strangled with their bras. And that's why I bring up earlier that that's a very specific M.O. Because the first person who was strangled with their bra after he got to L.A. should have been a red flag. I feel very passionately about this. It's just like, come on. Well, and you would think that he'd be smarter than that, too. Right? At least evolve. At least. Yeah. Well, and I'm not like, I don't know, trying to make light of it in any way. But it's just, you're so fucking stupid. Or he's that cocky. Because he did. He did get away with it for a little while. Yeah, he did. And also, so he stayed at the Cecil on purpose because that's where Richard Ramirez stayed. Yeah. Ew, let's start there. Like, I was talking to Amanda when we were researching this, and I'm like, how do I look up why serial killers pay homage to each other? How do I, <laughs> how does one Google that? Like, how do you look up, like, why do you do that? But then it's the same reason why people who are like new horror directors will kind of like have little bits and nods to other horror movies or why artists will emulate great artists. It's because they respect that person and they want to be like them. And so I was like, oh, gross. But like in serial killers, it's not copycat killers. It's like fanboys, just somehow worse. Yeah. And so once they figured out it was him, <laughs> They arrested him in Miami in 1992. And so he was then extradited back to Austria. So before he had left Austria for America, he had killed more women by strangling them with their bras. So that's why he was extradited back to Austria. So he goes back to Austria and he's convicted on nine counts of murder in 1994. Pretty soon after he was convicted, like, I want to think it may have been the same day. Like it was a few hours later. Mm -hmm. He killed himself by making a makeshift noose. Which, like, when serial killers kill themselves in prison after they've been caught, it makes me mad on a level that I can't even describe to you. Well, what I found interesting is that he kind of killed himself the same way he killed women. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Strangulation. I'm sure, like, maybe his neck broke. I don't know. But he focused in the same area. And I just thought that was interesting. That is an interesting kind of parallel. Yeah, that's the only way he knew how to kill. There's one way to go, baby. But something about him just hits an anger chord, right? Deep in my heart. Mm -hmm. Great. So probably the most famous of deaths at the Cecil Hotel was Alyssa Lamb. And that was back in 2013. I'm sure everyone has seen the strange elevator video. And that was taken there. So Alyssa Lamb, I, I remember the first day seeing that video and I was absolutely fascinated. I watched it at least 10 times that day. I remember getting full body chills watching it because, you know, sometimes you can like watch a video from insert creepy thing that happened and you're like, oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. You can just like debunk whatever it is right away. Mm -hmm. That's not the case with this one. <laughs> Still to this day, before we got on today, I watched it again. And every time I watch it, I have a different thought that goes through my head as to what she's doing at what moment. So if you haven't seen this video, I highly recommend that you Google it. We'll put a link up on our website too. We used it as one of our sources, obviously. So you'll be able to see it. But anyways, so Alyssa was traveling from Canada to California. And she actually had multiple stops, which a lot of people don't really talk about. So she was in California before she landed in LA. And something interesting, too, is she documented a lot of her life on Tumblr. And so if you've never heard of Tumblr, it's a lot 
different than Facebook and like Instagram. And it's like a blog, but there's also pictures and you can essentially like repost kind of like Twitter or you can write your own things. And then you also can schedule things to be posted. It's a little, I don't even know how to describe why it's different, but it's just absolutely different. Yeah, I think it's a amalgamation of Facebook, Twitter, a general blog, and Pinterest. Like, it's like yeah. anything you like. Some people have, like, curated ones where they just talk about, like, one thing or it's just one thing. But hers seemed to be kind of a mix of words that spoke to her and images she liked. Yeah. Well, when you look at her blog on there, you can tell that she went through a lot. She did suffer from some mental illness. You could tell some depression went on. You can tell that she had really great days where she was really happy to be alive. It's very interesting to read through it. And I I will say I've gone through her Tumblr tons of times and read her posts. And when you go through something so personal, like a blog like that, you relate to her so much more. And you're like, we could have been friends. You know, like we could have, if I would have met her, I feel like we would have connected. And it makes me so much more sad when I tell her story. Well, yeah, the quote at the top of her Tumblr, it's kind of like a weird foreshadowing that's really heartbreaking. And so it's, you're always haunted by the idea that you're wasting your life. (sighs) There's a couple of those where it gets you when you read it. Yeah. But yeah, her Tumblr posts are really the hard read, but she does go through almost day by day of what happened. So she originally arrived in Los Angeles on January 26, 2013, and she had originally booked a hostel style room at the Cecil, but she was then moved to a private room because her roommates complained of odd behavior. I haven't been able to find an actual time frame on when the move actually happened. Like, did she stay a couple nights? Was it just one night? I'm not sure. But there's a couple different news articles about how she was moved. And one strange thing that I will mention, not once have I ever found an interview with her original roommates. I have scoured the internet. I have looked on groups. I have looked on sleuth boards. I have looked everywhere. I have never found anything related to those roommates. Could you imagine the kind of guilt you must feel? Yeah, that and just what was the odd behavior? That's the only thing the hotel has said that I can at least find. It might be out there somewhere. I don't know. But I have looked at this since it happened here and there. Not that I spend every day, but I've looked into this just to see if there's any sort of updates. And there is a Netflix series coming in the next couple weeks. And that is the only thing. And I'm hoping maybe they've been able to uncover stuff, you know, because they're Netflix. Yeah. But outside of that, not sure. But on the 27th, she went out and she posted a blog on Tumblr about it. She also mentioned she hopes no creepers come near her. So I wonder if maybe during her trip at some point, maybe there were some creepers. And then she also posts, the speakeasy was awesome, except I lost a cell phone. So she didn't have her her cell phone. And I know in a lot of the articles, they're like, we didn't find her cell phone. Well, she lost it at the speakeasy or maybe, maybe someone took it. I don't know. Oof. Yeah. So while she was there, because she was traveling alone, she checked in every day with her parents. Well, on January 31st, the phone call stopped. She was last seen at the hotel, but later on, they also found that she had traveled to a bookstore and it was called The Last Bookstore. And there are interviews with, I want to say she's the manager, Katie Orphan, and she recalls seeing Alyssa there and said she was very outgoing, very lively, very friendly. She was buying gifts for her parents and sister, and she was a little worried about trying to get them home, Hmm. like if they were too heavy or whatever. So that tells me she wasn't looking to die, right? Like she expected to go back home. So no one hears from her after that date. Now, 
Her parents report her missing. It's released to the public. And then the LAPD then release an elevator video. And that's the last time anyone had seen Alyssa, right? And the video is taken, I want to say, from like either very, very late at night on January 31st into the early hours of February 1st. The thing with the video is it's blurred out the time and date, right? So you can't really say one way or another. There's also reports from people who have watched the video more than me and have different like computer programs to try to figure out what was happening a little bit more. Yeah. And they believe that there is missing time from the video, that either there's a block out Sometimes the video sped up and sometimes the video is slowed down. I've also seen that maybe they did that so that you could see her better in the video. And so people could like identify her and say, oh, I've seen her. That makes sense. It's weird, though, that they never talk about it. You would think they'd go, oh, here's this video of her. We slowed it down so you guys could see her better. Like, you would think that there'd be some sort of statement. That's true. Or we took out a piece of it because another patron walked by something. But some people speculate that maybe in a, a hotel employee walked by or in and was talking with her and they didn't want to be connected to it. But I feel like that would have been like so easy if the police who were looking at it originally, if they were doing a good job to see. Or if they were in on it. There's a lot of theories, right, surrounding this video. Yeah. But anyway, so they release they release the video to the public around February 15th. And then on February 19th, this is where it goes real, real bad. People staying at the hotel. And again, the hotel at this time had people staying for a night or two and also had long-term residents. People started to complain about the water pressure and the taste of their water. Mm. There's one interview with a lady named Sabina Baugh from one of the CNN articles, and she remembers the shower was awful. When you turn the tap on, the water was coming out black at first. The water was coming black first for two seconds, and then it would go back to normal. And then also, she said, it tasted horrible. It had a funny, sweetie, disgusting taste, and it was a very strange taste. And she says, I can barely describe it. It was people, baby girl. It was people. Yeah. And... I guess for a little while, they didn't complain because she was a visitor and she was like, we didn't really think anything of it. We thought that's just the way it was here because they were visiting LA and yeah, didn't realize, which that's so sad. And so that when you know what happened, I'm nauseous. Yeah. So one of the hotel employees, Santiago Lopez, then went up to the roof to check what was going on with the water. And in one of the articles, it actually describes how he got up to the roof and that he had to take an elevator to the 15th floor, then walk up a staircase. And then he first had to turn off the rooftop alarm before he could climb onto the platform where the water tanks were. And there was an alarm and the alarm never went off the day she went missing. So at first he didn't really notice anything unusual, but then he noticed that the hatch to the main water tank was open. And when he looked inside, he saw an Asian woman lying face up in the water, approximately 12 inches from the top of the tank. And his testimony suggested that it would have been difficult for her to make it up there on her own. Yeah. And especially without like any staff or other people noticing that she was going up there. There's also reports saying that her body was found naked. Her clothes, her watch, her room key were all also in the water beside her and that her cell phone was never found. But we know based on Tumblr why it was never found. Now, the coroner listed the death as drowning, but a lot of people do not agree with that. You can pick every single piece of this apart and find something strange, which I have. Is she face down or face up? He says face up. And I've looked into it like 
face down versus face up. And I guess a lot of people did say, well, she should have been face down because when you drown, you'll float, but your like limbs are still kind of hanging. So like the weight of your limbs would most likely put you face down, but your fat and everything would go up, I guess. She was a very thin, very petite woman, though. Yeah. And so it could go either way from what I've read. I've read articles saying one way or another. I found it just unusual. And I have about 100 questions about that day that I cannot find the answers to. Some say the water tank was open. Some say the top was closed. Also, something that I was able to locate when people are saying that it would have been too hard for her to get up there by herself. There was a web sleuth page where someone actually stayed there in February, the same time she was missing. And he mentioned that he was able to get onto the rooftop, described how it was, even posted his booking confirmation. So you knew he wasn't lying about staying there at that time and basically said it was super simple to get up there. He wanted to go take a few photos. And it is hard to know that he was probably right next to her body without knowing it. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting. There's also some YouTube videos when you Google around of other people that have attempted to get up there without triggering an alarm and they've been able to successfully do it. So I don't think that was the case. So there's a ton of different theories out there for what happened to her. And some stem from conspiracy theories, paranormal, like ghosts. The ghost of Richard Ramirez killed her. There's some that just say it was an accident that she went up there maybe to take photos for her Tumblr and fell in trying to get like a good vantage point. Yeah. And then also some people believe that she might have had like a mental episode. And that explains like the video and how she wasn't able to get out. But then also we can't roll out foul play either. You know, like if maybe someone took her up there and then maybe she drowned. Like, I don't think you could get out of that if you fell in. Yeah. Or someone put you in there. Well, and also, I mean, it really frustrates me when we boil a person down to a single aspect of themselves, like having Mm -hmm. bipolar and being like, well, that's why she's doing this. And exactly. When you make someone two dimensional, you're not looking at the totality of the circumstances. So how can you investigate effectively if you're like, she just had an episode. You weren't there, so you don't know. So it's a factor Mm -hmm. to keep in mind, but it's by no means the reason for everything. Because there's a series of strange events that lead up to this and a series of strange events leading out of this. And so to say that it's just because of her mental illness doesn't really make sense because... No. How did she end up up there? How did they not notice that the door was unlocked? Exactly. What's going on in that elevator? Also, her autopsy shows that she had some of her medication in her system. I don't know, but I am very excited to watch the Netflix series coming out. I do want to see if they have anything else, but it's very interesting and heartbreaking. I feel horrible for her family. Honestly, like I I kind of feel bad even about the Netflix series coming because now they're reliving it all over again. She seems like she was a very sweet girl. You can go through her Tumblr. It goes on for a while. She posted quite a bit. And then also she had scheduled posts after she was dead, which also threw people off for a while. Yeah. But it's it's a very interesting story. And the Cecil Hotel is fascinating. Again, it should be opening, at least from the last last things that I could see, hopefully at the end of the year. And something that really made me kind of sad is that in one article, they were looking at the possibility of installing a rooftop pool. You can't see me, everyone, but I'm looking at Amanda. I just leaned in and squinted my eyes because 
that's disgusting. But people will monetize everything they can. Yeah. I went there a couple years ago just to get a couple pictures and I couldn't go in. They were working on it and I was like really hoping I can make friends with one of the people working on it so I could run around. No one came out to befriend me. I was very disappointed. But the building is massive and they still have on the side, it says Cecil still on the side and then stay on main, like the marquee type area. And the area is not great. So like bring a friend if you go and you can still kind of look through some of the windows. It is gorgeous inside. Yeah, I saw pictures and it's stunning. So Amanda, can I please tell you about my favorite hotel that kills? Yes, please. Okay, so it's called the castle, but it's not for princesses. So there's many different sources that we consulted for information for this one. But the documentary H.H. Holmes, America's First Serial Killer, was super informative and I found it very interesting. It was on Amazon Prime. As always, we'll include the title of that with our sources on our website. H.H. Holmes was a pretty awful human in his own right. But today we're just going to focus on the castle. So an odd thing, though. It is not a a castle. (laughs) It does not look like a castle, but it is called a castle. And why is that? So it's called the castle because the area was kind of up and coming and it was so big. It was almost as long as a block. So the people who lived in that area called it the castle because it was massive. And from some things that I've seen, too, people say it was also not very attractive. Like it was ugly, which is not what I think of when I think the castle. No, but this layout is castle-like in a sense because there's just so much going on. There's a lot going on. And so generally, thinking of homes, I want you to think con artist scheming, how can I get a buck? Okay. Everything he does is kind of interwoven with that. So he's like, I want money and I don't want to get it in good ways. And I don't want to pay people to do things. So the land where he would eventually build the castle, he leased in 1888 and he designed the building himself and all of the vendors that he hired only worked on parts of the building. So no one except him knew the full layout and what it looked like put together. Kind of gives me Winchester vibes in that sense. For sure, Winchester vibes. But also with that, remember, I said he's a schemer. This way he could be like, you did a bad job. I'm firing you. I'm not paying you. You did a bad job. And so he would fire people under that guise. So I think that's why nobody was like, this is strange. He has 17 different businesses who helped build walls. So the construction of the house was completed in 1892, which that feels like a pretty long time. But we are talking the 1800s. So things weren't as automated as they are now. I had vaguely heard of this, but didn't know a ton before we started researching this. And so I'm utterly fascinated by all of the facets of this house. There were stairwells that led to nowhere. And then there were doors where you would open them and it would just be a brick wall on the other side. So it was very disorienting. And the rooms were kind of like a labyrinth and a maze. It was very strange. And on the first floor, there was shops. And so there was a blacksmith, a pharmacy, a jewelry store, a restaurant and a barber shop. And on the second floor, things start to get strange. Yeah. The diagram is insane and we'll post it. Yes. And that's where he has built apartments. And so I know we, we promised we were talking about hotels. Don't worry. Hotel rooms are on the next floor. But for now, the apartments, many of them were designed as kill chambers. There was an asphyxiation room and an airless chamber and the floors were iron plate lined so that they were soundproof. So people couldn't hear people screaming. Of course they were. Yeah, well, especially because think like there's businesses underneath. Certainly, like you're enjoying a fine, I don't know, 1892 meal, whatever that is. And there's someone screaming as they're dying. But anywho. Tea cakes? Likely tea cakes. He would have loved Leonardo. 
One of the rooms had gas fixtures in it. So Holmes would steal people in the room and then he would go into like an adjacent room where there was a switch, flip the switch and then listen or watch them die. Doesn't it remind you kind of like a cartoon? Yes. Like where one of the characters like on, I don't know, Looney Tunes or something would like press the button and then one of them would fall through the floor and fall into a big deep pit. Oh, yeah. In my head, it's like a big blue button and he's like. And that it says gas on it. Yeah. And notice some similarities between when we were talking about the suicide hotel Mm -hmm. that the Count wanted. This was built first. So maybe he was inspired by Holmes's house and thought, how can we do this ethically? So also some of the stairs and all of the doors on the second floor had an intricate alarm system so that if anybody left their room or went into a stairwell... H.H. knew where they were and what they were doing. Of course. That's crazy for that time. You know, like right now you have cameras everywhere, right? Or you can have sensors. But back then, having that in his creepy mansion. How did he sleep? I don't know. So he had a room where there was no lights and no windows so you couldn't see. There were hinged walls in some of the rooms. So even if they appeared normal, like the wall would be hinged. And there were secret hiding places so he could like spy on people. Also, there were false partitions and some rooms just for no reason had like five doors and only like one or two of them worked. Yeah. Winchester vibes. Super weird. So we're not going to go up yet. We're going to go down to the basement where he had acid vats. He had pits of quicklime to like help preserve people. A crematorium that he disguised as a glass vending forge. Interesting. Okay. So he had an area that was outfitted for him to dissect bodies and where he could clean bones because he was a doctor. And in the documentary that I watched, there was a profiler and he said that one of the things that makes H.H. Holmes so fascinating is that he finished college when a lot of serial killers don't especially olden time serial killers. So the fact that he finished college, then med school is very unique. And so he had a whole area to clean bones because one of the things that he would do after he would murder someone is it's thought that he would sell their skeleton to local medical schools because you'd get a ton of money for this. And so, and this is also a time where like it was harder to come by cadavers. So it was extra harder to come by a skeleton, especially a full skeleton. Speaking of, I sent you a couple weeks ago, a shop that I I went to where you could buy a human skeleton for your home as you do casual decor i hope the skeleton wasn't from here though because that's bad vibes bad vibes also in the basement there was something called an elasticity determinator which to me sounds like something that where they would like put a little like who's he what's it on your face at all day and you're like mm, you need a retinol but that's not what this was for this was for amanda what do you think this was for Uh, A youth serum. That sounds right, doesn't it? It makes sense. Yeah. This was a device to create a race of giants. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So he would strap people onto this and then stretch them out. Oh. He did not create a race of giants. He just killed people instead. He didn't turn into Elastigirl. No, he did not. Unfortunately, he wasn't that incredible. That's what The Incredibles was based off of, right? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Disney loves us. Oh, yeah. This is a Disney approved show. (laughs) Disney's like, keep my name out your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get a letter. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Don't mention us. That's how Disney talks, right? Right. Oh, yeah. They're they're pretty. 
I feel they are like villains, right? Sitting up in their like castles too. I saw a video, TikTok probably, where it was like, if you're ever doing something and you don't want it to be videotaped, play Disney music in the background because if there's Disney music playing, Disney's attorneys will be like, copyright! And then like they'll have the video taken down and you won't have to fight for it. But I'm like, couldn't you just have a soundless video then? But if you're like trying to not have someone record your voice... Yeah. Dubious law. That was good information. Yeah. Yeah. Play under the sea. Under the sea. In the basement. Down where it's acid. Cleaning them bones. Send them not for free. Okay. All right. Well, now we're going to have our video taken down. Fuck. 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 (laughs) Just to the tune. It's satire. Satire and parody (laughs) do not fall under copyright laws. You are allowed to do those things. That was their first version, though. You were reading a script. (gasps) Shit. You're right. The cat's out of the bag. (laughs) Okay, so Amanda, would you like to know what was on the third floor? Tell me more. In our notes, I wrote the 33rd floor. It's just the third. There's only three floors. So there were offices, homes, bedroom, and then eventually he created hotel rooms up there as well. And so one of the interesting things about his room is that he had in his bathroom, he had a trap door that led to a windowless cubicle. Of course. And from that windowless cubicle, there was a chute that led to the basement. And a lot of people theorized that he had that chute to dispose of bodies. Well, yeah. Why else would he? His laundry? I mean, look, maybe he needed a full room for his dirty laundry. Like, can you imagine that, though? Like, you don't even have to, like, okay, follow me, though. You're in the bathroom. You take off your clothes. You just throw them down the trap door. And then when you have a moment and you're ready to do laundry... Then you throw them down the chute so that they're just like, that's where they are. And when that room gets full, you know, it's time to go down and start laundry. You know, that exists, right? Laundry chutes. Yeah, I know laundry chutes exist. Yeah. I'm talking about there's a an intermediate room, though, right? Like it's tra- it's bathroom, trap door, windowless cubicle, then the chute. So there's like a room sized laundry basket, basically. I want a button that like it's full and then it like the claws open and all of your laundry fall down into the chute. <laughs> Here's what I want. I want a button where magic elves come out and they take my clothing, they wash it, they fold it, and then they put it away. Yeah, fold it. Can you like get on Marge's good side? I try. I try. Tell her to stop stomping around and start doing laundry. I don't know, man. The stomping thing is new and it's bad vibes. It's bad vibes. The first two times it happened when I was by myself. And the third time it happened when Ben was, he was like, we we're like laying in bed, both awake. And he was like, what was that? And I was like, you're like, it's Marge. I've told you 67 times. It's Marge. Well, the first time it happened, like I was home and I was like fiddling around on my phone before I like took a little napsies. And he was at my brother's and my brother lives right behind us. So I thought that he had came home and like gotten something and then left again. And I was like, what did you come home for earlier? Like hours later when he had gotten home and he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you came home. I heard a door. I heard step, 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 step out. He was like, that wasn't me. I need you to get some like paranormal activity cameras. Look, I don't want cameras in my home. It's deep state, man. But I want to watch March. Look, I'm sorry. The fact that I have an Alexa is a big step for me. I don't. I don't trust it. They're listening in. Okay. (laughs) But 
how did he get the people in? Like, how did he get someone to want to live or come into his creepy castle? So I think that's one of the most interesting parts of this is it's so unclear how many people he killed, where they were from, and a definitive source of like, how did they get there? I'll talk about in a little bit, but the World's Fair was there that year. He put ads in newspapers. So he got his victims from a few different places. And there was, so Adam Seltzer, who wrote H.H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil, said there's a total of about nine that we can say with some confidence he probably killed. He confessed 27 at one point, but several of them were still alive when he confessed. Interesting. So pretty clear to know that he is not dead. But there's a consistent pattern of people who he was close to who lived there going missing. Then within a few weeks, he was selling a skeleton to a medical facility. I wonder where it came from. <laughs> Who whose could it be? And so in May of 1893, the Columbian Expedition World's Fair comes to town and 20 million people come. And 20 million people went missing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Thousands of people went missing from the fair. Oh, my gosh. Which like that is a spooky number in and of itself. Like that is a rabbit hole worthy of like dipping into in and of itself because thousands of people going missing from the same place. I'm sorry. Why have I not heard of this? So the castle was just a few miles away from the fair. And so Holmes, in anticipation of the fair coming to town, he decorated the upstairs lavishly. Got like the best of the best. He put it on credit. He never paid for it. Surprise, surprise. And so he put ads in local newspapers to talk about the rooms for rent. So he got people that way. And then he has a business associate named Benjamin Peitzel, who's like, at one point, they're like thick as thieves. It's his best buddy in work. And he takes, Peitzel has like five kids. So he takes some of Peitzel's kids with him because he's like, they're great. People love kids. And he goes and like chats up elderly women who seem to be just like spending their money and throwing it around. He's like, you should come stay here. Like women who are by themselves. Yeah, come to my house. Yeah, creep. And this is a time period. You don't have cell phones, right? Like you're not going to be like, I'm staying here because some people may have gone to town not knowing they were going to stay. There's like, there's hotels. I can stay someplace. And so people just went missing and nobody ever heard from them again. And then their skeletons were sold. Yeah, their skeletons were for sure sold. But so that's one of the interesting things is that they think that he may have killed up to 200 people. And that was like, it's kind of like, remember when we talked about Bathory and her hundreds of victims and how like that was passed down and people were like it came with somebody said it once and then everybody was like oh my god she made them blood right and then but it was all one story yeah so adam seltzer argues that 200 victim claim comes from a 1940s book by herbert asbury called the gem of a prairie where he inflated the amount of people that Holmes had allegedly murdered and that when everybody else retold the story after that, they included that figure because it was more sensational. He, he also says that Holmes, he didn't trap strangers. He just killed people who he knew or that were already living there. And that he also says that the third floor was never a hotel rooms, which I thought was really interesting because in the documentary I watched, they were like, this is all the stuff he bought. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like a really big discrepancy. It is. Yeah, for a building. Normally like a person being somewhere at a certain time. Sure. But a whole building. Yeah. Yeah, that's very odd. And so remember, I said he's a schemer and a con artist. Seltzer postulates that this was all like a get rich quick scheme for him and that he was just looking to defraud vendors and stuff like that. And that that's he was just trying to get money that way. He wasn't 
so focused on killing or that I mean that would make me even think like maybe the murdering was like a secondary excitement to the thrill of selling a skeleton because they went for really good money and so there's also another historian named Harold Schechter who wrote Depraved the definitive true story of H.H. Holmes whose grotesque crime shattered turn of the century Chicago a very long book title and he suggests (laughs) that the details about Holmes house the the castle were sensationalized to sell newspapers and that some of the stories were just fiction interesting yeah he's also in the documentary that i watched and talks a lot about him so it's a little bit confusing on like where he stands there's also no evidence that he actually used that shoot for people and that it wasn't for laundry like but newspapers were like we're just gonna go ahead and say it but like What else was that for? What else was it for? No, I mean, agreed. Agreed. So you think murder castle, all this crazy shit. He's going to get arrested for that, right? Like, that's like where you're you're like, of course, he's going to get arrested for his murder building. You would hope. No, he wasn't. So him and Benjamin Peitzel had a scheme to defraud a life insurance company and they were going to fake Peitzel's death. Then Peitzel's widow would collect his money, then split it with Holmes so that that way like he had a profit too for helping in this. Do you think of Parks and Rec when you talk about faking your own death now? Because that's the only thing that comes up is Jean-Ralphio and Mona Lisa in the graveyard singing Don't Be Suspicious. I completely forgot about that. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Yeah, that's what they were doing. I see them like in one of the rooms. So, okay. So here's the problem is that Holmes is very suspicious and you don't trust someone who has a murder house that you kind of know about to not murder you. So he murders him. He burns him. He also poisons him with an excessive amount of chloroform. And so during this time period, forensics are like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason they could tell that he died from chloroform was because there was so much of it in his system that they could tell that's what it was. Because otherwise they would have had no way to test it. Like at this, this is the point in time before they even had fingerprinting. They just identified bodies by, it's called the Bertillion method, but it's like, how long is your finger? What's the distance between, like, how wide is your arm? What's your wingspan? Like, stuff like that. So it's real whim whamsy. So the idea that originally Holmes was supposed to mutilate a corpse that was off. Holmes was supposed to mutilate a cadaver that looked kind of similar in body size to Peitzel, but he killed him instead. And so he had told someone about this scheme and then not given him money he had promised. And so that person snitched on him. So he gets arrested for the life insurance fraud. And then they find out that he murdered Peitzel. Wow. He's charged, convicted for murder and sentenced to be hanged. And an interesting note that I saw in some places was that after like the floor gave out, he didn't die for 20 minutes. Oh, no. Just like very strange. And he himself was like, I'm becoming the devil in his own because he wrote an autobiography about his story. And so he himself was like, I'm starting to take on features of the devil. Like my nose is becoming different and the angles of my face. So he was like... Like near the end. Or he was aging. (laughs) Aging. Perhaps he was like losing face weight because prison food's not not prison food. Okay. So Holmes had several confessions before he was executed and they all kind of contradicted each other. So it was very annoying. But so while Holmes is awaiting execution, a person named William 
Randall Hearst wanted to write about his confessions. So he offers Holmes an impressive sum of money to talk about his crimes and what he did. And I found that fascinating because I'm like, what are you going to do with the money? You're about to die. And he didn't have any children. So I don't think he was like, oh, my widow. I don't think he really cared, honestly. He had three wives at one point. They didn't know about each other. Interesting note. Well, that house was so big. They probably had their own apartment. No, it wasn't even in that house. It was before that. Interesting. And maybe I should have said this before. H.H. Holmes wasn't actually his name. I mean, he changed his name. He changed his name because he was a great con man and he wanted to like escape the previous cons that he had so he could have new cons. But he was born Herman Webster Mudgett. Mudgett. I mean, would you be afraid of that name? No. Or H.H. Holmes. Yeah. Sounds a lot creepier. Yeah, it's a different vibe. I think of him as a Muppet. Mudgett the Muppet? Oh, yeah. Mudgett the Muppet. Absolutely. So he loves money. Money motivates many things that he does. So he takes hers up in his offer and he gives a final set of confessions. Now, I'm only going to talk about the confessions that he gave about murders that were in the house. But there were also other murders that he confessed to, including Peitzel and three of Peitzel's children, which were murdered pretty gruesomely. He's a sick fuck. Yeah. But so a man named Robert Latimer was he was killed in one of the sealed rooms and he had like tried to scratch way out and did not succeed. There was a man named Wade Warner who was burned alive in the crematorium. There was Nanny Williams who when she was murdered, she was like fighting him and like there was a bloody footprint on the vault door. And an interesting note about Nanny Williams was that her sister Minnie had an affair with Holmes and that she had inherited land. So she signed the land over to him and then he murdered them. That's allegations. That was that part wasn't in the confession, but that's some one of the things that I saw in like numerous articles when they kind of speculate over who he killed. And he also confessed to the murder of Emmeline Sacrand. And he says, so he had sent her into his vault to get some papers for him and he sealed her in the vault. And you're thinking, how big is this vault? Let me tell you. Yeah. So he went to the bank and said, I need a vault. He gets it on credit. Guess what happens? He gets a vault that's so big that he builds a room around it. And then when the bank's like, pay us our money, he's like, no. And they're like, well, we're going to take the vault back. And he's like, go for it. But if you damage my property, I am going to sue you. So they can't get the vault out because it's an entire room. So that's how big of a vault it is. Smart. Something. And so, woof, those were the ones that he included in his last confession along with the Peitzel children. And so he died. There's a ton more about Holmes, but this is kind of the stuff specific to his castle. He was never tried for any of the murders related to that, just Peitzel's. And his hanging was on May 7th of 1896. Soon after, people became kind of like obsessed with this kind of darkness and how strange it was. Think, guys, let's go all the way back to the beginning, baby. Velisca and like the people trampling through the crime scene. People were like excited to come look at the murder castle. And so there was talks of opening it as like a museum or a tourist attraction. And then before it could be sold, it was burned. Police had gone in and searched the castle after he had been arrested for Peitzel's murder and they had searched and took note of what was there. But most like ordinary people didn't get to see the inside because it was burned before people could take a peek. I feel like that would have been a little scary, though, because of how it was built with all like the secret passages and secret doors and trick doors. How many other bodies do you think were still in there, like in the weird like crevices of this 
hassle. So here's the thing. I actually don't think there's any bodies that are just tucked away because he was selling the skeletons for money. And so one of the things that police saw when they first came into the building, like into the basement, they saw piles of bones. And it was like a mixture of human and animal bones in one pile. And one looked like it was from a young girl who was as young as six. That's horrible. Who may have been his former mistress's daughter who went missing. My gosh. It's crazy that that many people could go missing in a certain area. Amanda, did I fall down this rabbit hole? Yes, I did. It is interesting because much (laughs) like Bathory, people were like, oh, this is this respectable person who's employing my daughter. So people were like, oh, okay," And it wasn't going on that long for people to like get wise to it. Yeah. When people went missing, he was just like, oh, like they went back home. They went here. They moved away because people weren't following up. Now you're like, let me check their LinkedIn. Just kidding. No one's checking LinkedIn. You're looking at Facebook or Instagram. But I love the idea that you're like, let me check their LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah, that's insane. And like the first thing I did when I started researching it was I Googled to go, where is this standing? You know, like, where is it still? Yeah. And I was actually a little disappointed that it was gone. Yeah, I'd certainly want to see pictures of the inside. Would I love to walk around it if it was like proven safe to do so? A little bit, because to me, it's more like how his mind worked. I find that fascinating that he was like, and then this and then that and then this and then that. And the way that he caught people off guard by like having walls that weren't walls and doorways that weren't doorways and stairs that led nowhere. It's a very disorienting design. And that's so purposeful that like it gives me chills. The weird thing is, too, that his house then was around the same time as the Winchester. I mean, they were obviously very far apart, but the construction began for the Winchester in 1884. Oh, yeah. Amanda, I left out one of my favorite tidbits about him. What? Guess what people call H.H. Holmes? America's Jack the Ripper. (laughs) So many Jack the Rippers. So I thought that was like an interesting parallel that like... Both the seesaw and the murder castle had a a country's Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yeah. Now I feel bad that our last hotel doesn't have a Jack the Ripper. Yet. It's just creepy. I mean, yet. You're right. You're right. Please don't, people. Don't kill people. No. You can't be America's Jack the Ripper. It's already happened. The time has passed. Get a new dream. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So the last hotel that we have is the Hotel San Carlos, which is located in Phoenix. Now, fun thing about this one, you could still go to it. You can stay the night there. You can go on tours there around uh, Halloween. They let you do ghost tours. Mm. Couple things, though. I've been there. I don't even think I can count anymore. I've stayed there at least three or four times. And then I've just walked over for like a drink or to hang out several times. And for a while there, it changed where it wasn't as embracing of its past. Silly. I felt like I thought there was new ownership or something. And then now when I'm looking at like their social media, it looks like this past year they kind of embraced it again. So I can't wait to go visit again. I feel like if you've got something that's going to draw tourists in, you might as well play on it. Yeah. So long as it's not in poor taste, but like ghosties. I'm going to go a little bit further back before the actual hotel was built, only because it might play kind of a role in some of my stories later. But some say that the local Native Americans once worshipped the god of learning in that area. And then that might be why some of the settlers chose it as a site for the city's first school. That was back in 1873 that they built the school. It was called Little Adobe. It's real poltergeist vibes, first off. And then I think it's interesting how whenever there's like a place that's spooky, they're like, wait a moment. Native Americans were here. That's why this is the way it is. Like, 
you can't blame all ghosts on Native Americans. <laughs> you can't. So it was a school for a while. And it lo- from what I can find, the school expanded several times. Then it was a brick schoolhouse. And then at one point it was condemned. And then the Hotel San Carlos started to be built and opened in 1928. It's very, very tricky when looking for more information on the schoolhouse. And I'll be honest, the most information I have from it is from memory from tours that I've done at the hotel because you just can't find a lot on it. There's like the same three sentences in every article and that is it. Yeah. And also like they're going to tell you better than some like random little listicle or tiny little article. That's true. So it was built in 1928 and it was very high end. It was ahead of the times for when they built it. And it got a lot of famous people staying here. So like Marilyn Monroe, there's actually a suite called the Marilyn Monroe suite in the hotel. And it has like a little cute plaque and everything on it when you walk by it. Mae West stayed there. Clark Gable just attracted a lot of interesting people. So like some like top end people, though, some top tier. Yeah, it was the first high rise hotel in Phoenix with air conditioning. And I can't even wrap my head around living here without air conditioning because that's horrible. That's swanky. Yeah. So it was very nice. It also was the first high rise hotel with hand operated elevators in the entire state. That's pretty snazzy. Yeah. And the elevators are beautiful. They're like these copper doors and they're right off the lobby. So you can take the elevators or right around the elevators. There's a staircase. And I will say that staircase, when you walk up it, you get chills every time. Really? And I forget about it, too. Sometimes where I'm like, I don't want to wait for the elevator. I'll go around. And then you like start walking. You're like, oh, I don't like it every time. So something happened on that. I know it's not recorded anywhere, but something's happening on that staircase. That's fair. Yeah. So to describe the hotel a little bit more, it has like a penthouse on the seventh floor, too. And the original owner and GM lived there with his family. So it's like on the top of the hotel, you'll see kind of the roof and then there's a penthouse on top. It's recognized as an Arizona State historic landmark and it did go through a pretty big renovation in 2003 and they updated some of the rooms. Although it still matches, like you can tell it's a very old hotel when you stay there. Yeah. And even the signage on the outside has like that old timey vibe. It's really beautiful. I love it. It's so cool. Yeah. So the most famous death of the building was a woman named Leon Jensen. And she actually died weeks after it opened. And she died on May 27th, 1928. And she had jumped from the top of the building and died on the street. That's so sad. Yeah, it's horrible. It's really, really sad. And I'll talk a little bit more detail on there, too. So she stayed in room 720. But now there are some rumors that she was actually on the third floor. I'm not sure. So there's a lot of different rumors as to why. And one of the biggest rumors, and and I've heard this on a tour, too, and I really don't agree with it, but they say that she jumped off the building because it was due to a breakup with one of the bellboys at a nearby hotel. The nearby hotel was the Westward Ho. Now it's like low-income housing, I believe. You can't just go stay there, but it looks super duper creepy. I will say that. I don't believe that that was the reason for it because she didn't really mention it in a lot of her notes that she wrote before she died. So in her last hour, she wrote an apology letter to the manager. She mentioned that she didn't mean to check out permanently without paying the bill. And then in one of her letters, she wrote, the coroner will attend to my bill and make sure that all my clothes are packed. I have $5, which he will get later tonight. Will that help any? My income was due on the 10th, but it wasn't to be. She also wrote other notes and like letters. One was detailed requests for her funeral. She wrote goodbyes to her friends. 
The longest one was to The Undertaker in L.A. to plan her own funeral. And she said, bury me in my tan dress and my tan high heel slippers. Organ music above all things. That's so sad. It's so sad how much she planned to die there, right? So when she jumped, her body was found on Monroe Street by a patrolman. And basically, he heard a scream and he heard the fall at around like 2.45 in the morning. Her death was well documented. So there were newspaper clippings. And when you go into the hotel, they have one of them framed. They have like a whole thing on her. It is said that people, many people, have claimed to have seen her ghost. They also claim that they wake up in the middle of the night and they have a woman in white standing by their bed. Absolutely not. And then she slowly moves towards the door and disappears. She's a great A creeper. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I have stayed there several times and I haven't had that, luckily. You know how you're like, oh my gosh, I hope something happens. And then when you get in bed and you're like, oh, please don't happen. Please don't happen. Especially like you've been like skittering all over town. You're like, mm, sleep time. Like in theory, it's fun. But when you're like, I know I actually I'd like to go to sleep now. You certainly don't want to deal with it then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So many people have seen her. And I will say years ago, when I first heard of this hotel, we stayed the night and it was on like a Halloween night, right? And when I checked in, I mentioned like, yeah, we're totally here for like a ghost tour and like I'm super interested in it. And I remember the woman at the desk's like, oh, if you're interested in it, here, take a look at this. And she handed me this book and the book had at the top, you were supposed to write your name if you chose to, or you could, you know, not what room you stayed in. And what happened during your stay? And she's like, whenever someone checks out and they say, oh, something strange happened or, oh, I heard someone or I heard this. We always handed them the book and said, please record that. And a lot of people mentioned seeing a woman, right? This book has since been stolen or lost. The last time I stayed there, I asked for this book and the person looked at me like I was crazy. What if you dealt with a ghost the first time? I mean, maybe, maybe. Now, something I will say, too, remember how I said it was a schoolhouse, right? A lot of people have heard children laughing. No, no, no. Either in the hallways or vacant rooms. Like, they'll go, oh, but the kids next door were so loud. And they're like, no one stayed next door to you last night. There's also, like, people hear, like, bouncing of a ball in some of the halls. And they hear, like, little boys playing or laughing. They're not actually there. I saw that some people also, like saw them together like playing with the balls and I was like no 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 I don't know why ghost children with toys is worse but it is it definitely is now when I said that I stayed there on Halloween night years and years ago we went on the tour and I was kind of annoyed because no one was taking it seriously and of course like what am I thinking it's Halloween night people are going to be drinking and like going nuts and I'm like tell me about the ghosts I don't care about drinks but we, we were kind of in the back during the, the tour and I was more just trying to listen to the lady, but then also like kind of explore my own. And there are these women that were there with us. And one of them's like, oh, you actually want to know about some of this? And I was like, yeah, like this is why I'm here. And I feel so horrible because I looked everywhere today. I cannot find her business card. She gave me a business card, but she was with some sort of ghost hunting group. I can't remember what it was called. So if she ever somehow listens, like I would love to promote her information. But she hands me a card and she's like, we are with this ghost hunting group. If you'd like, we can say that you're with our group and we have a private tour later on tonight around midnight. Yes. Yes. And obviously I'm like, yes, please. Thank you so much. So after the crazy tour ended, we go up with them and we get to go all the way back to the basement in the middle of the night alone. 
just us. And uh, I want to say it was like the hotel manager at the time and then my husband. And we're down in the basement area. And when I guess it was a school, there was a well. And it's rumored that some of the kids possibly died in the well. Mm. Also, around that time in like 1918-ish, many children in the area died because of the Spanish flu. Yeah. So unfortunate. There's a lot of reasons for children to die in this area. Anyways, we're down in the basement and we're all talking. And you know how when you talk in a group, you normally end up in like a circle. And one of the women looks up and she's like, oh, they're here. And I'm like, poltergeist. Okay. And she's like, no, 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 I'm a medium and like starts telling me that that sort of thing. I I know that the kids are here. And you know, when someone says they're a medium, you're kind of like, but are you right? You always are skeptical. Like, sure you are. Yeah, yeah. Until they prove something to me that I can't explain, I'm normally like skeptical. But at that moment, she's like, it's it's the kids. They want to play. And I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden you hear footsteps running around us. Like it was feet away from us. I remember you telling this story and it gives me the same kind of willies as it did then. Like the little pitter patter, just footsteps, not down with it. Lots of them, super not down with them. Nope. I can't explain it. No, there's nothing like I was there and I cannot think of a way that they could have made that happen. She felt it. It wasn't just a sound, right? It was literally in front of me. Yeah. And she's like, well, we can try talking to them. And she starts asking them questions. And she's like, knock once for yes, two for no. And you're in a basement of an old building, right? So there's like pipes on top and like above you. And it's kind of hard to describe. Oh, there's just a lot of stuff going on in that basement. And you would hear a knock right above you for questions she was asking them. No, ma'am. So... That was incredible enough. Like I could have ended my day there and just been like, (laughs) all right, everything's real. I believe everything now. But we continued on. So inside the hotel, too, there was an apartment. And from pictures that I was able to find online, again, I haven't been to this area because it was off limits area in in a very long time. But some people are saying now there's a gym Hmm. where this apartment used to be. I can't validate that right now, but I will soon. But anyways, we go to this apartment area and the manager is trying to unlock it, right? And we had gone in that area for the tour earlier that night, unlocked no problem. She cannot get her key card to open this area. Or I, I don't remember if it was a key card or a key, but she could not open it, right? And she's like, this is really strange. I've never had this happen before. And then you start hearing chairs moving. Mm-hmm. Because it was like an empty room with a bunch of like chairs, like a storage area. And you hear chairs moving. And the woman who claimed to be a medium said, there's a very angry spirit in here. And from some of the stories that were told that night, they said that there was either, I don't remember if it was a hotel manager or an owner at a time that lived there with his family at one point. And he had a really big like anger problem. But it was very strange because you could hear the chairs moving and you could almost hear them like falling. Like imagine like someone throwing a tantrum and like, shoving a chair you heard it right on the other side yeah and i feel like you'd feel the vibrations of the impact so it's not like they could just have someone in there making sounds like when i say it's not like they could have like a recording on the other side like oh no we can't get in and you're like okay there would be impact like there would be like a vibration if somebody was throwing something against the door or something like that yeah Yeah, it's very, very weird. And that was just one experience there. We've stayed there, like I said, several times, and we've always gotten different rooms on different floors. And sometimes I'm like, eh, nothing. And then sometimes I'm like, I have the creeps. One of the women that was part of that ghost group, she was like, here, look at our website, gave me her card. And she's like, we have EVPs from this room. And, you know, she showed me the room. And I went on and there is an EVP or there was, I cannot find their website anymore, that I guess she was carrying something and she kind of tripped and they just had like their uh, mm-hmm. 
the recorder on at all times and you hear a man's voice. And remember, it's two women. You hear a man's voice clear as day go, whoa, be careful. I do not like that at all. No, no. So that place is insane. There's children. There's Leon Jensen. And there is another death. And I could not find the name, unfortunately. It's weird because there's an article, but there's no name of who died. But on December 9th of 2004, there was a man who jumped from the roof of the building as well. That's so sad. It's very, yeah, it's weird that the same thing happens over and over again in like the Cecil and this hotel where people are just jumping off of it. And I feel like that would be a really hard way to go. You know, like it takes time to fall. And what if you don't die instantly too? From that height, you're going to die. Yeah, but someone hit power lines in one of them, you know? Yeah. And then she died like days later, which was really sad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the way down takes a little bit to fall. I mean, I would imagine that that would be a very terrifying way to die. I'm also afraid of heights, you know, and yeah, I would imagine that it's instant. You know what I mean? Like instant. And you don't have to like acquire anything. Maybe. But all around that hotel is very, very creepy. Like I said, there's like a Marilyn Monroe room and it's kind of near the pool. And the cool thing about the pool here is it's not at the top, top of the building, but it's a ways up. So like when you're out in the pool deck, it's gorgeous and you can hang out there and you always feel like someone's watching you even when no one's up there with you. You just have like this feeling. Yeah, that vibe. I, I got you. That someone's standing in the doorway. Yeah. But highly recommend visiting it. Like I said, I I noticed that this year they did some ghost tours again, or last year, I should say 2020. But I would say definitely check it out. Stay the night. It's totally worth it. It's not very expensive. And share stories. Or if you have stayed there, share stories. Because it is probably one of my favorite places. If you've stayed at any hotel and have any creepy stories, we absolutely want them. I would love to have an episode where we just talk about listener stories at like vacation spots. I'll even broaden it. Is it an Airbnb, a hotel, a motel, cabin in the woods? Did you encounter a Yeti? Bigfoot? Fire Yeti? A fire Yeti, maybe? I sent it to you earlier, Amanda, but my dad sent me a picture of the fire Yeti. (laughs) It's like so cute. I have a question. So what do you think as far as like, why do bad things continue to happen in these certain places? What do you think causes so much negativity in these hotels? So I think it depends on the place, right? Let's start with the Cecil. I think that one of the reasons that the Cecil has such a dark past is because of Richard Ramirez. The suicides are sad and tragic, but I think that them being there is just like the nature of it being a hotel and that there might be suicides at a lot of popular hotels that we just don't know about because they don't have these murders associated with them. So I don't think we would notice. What about Pigeon? Oh, for sure. For sure, Pigeon, too, right? So Pigeon, I don't know why. That is very sad. But Unterweger went because of Richard Ramirez. And I've seen theories that perhaps Alyssa Lamb was murdered in homage to the murderer of Black Davia. And that it's like another Mm -hmm. case where they're like paying homage. So that's what that makes me think of, is that it's just like a place where that happens and people are like, oh, like, here's another place. And we talked about it in our Texas Killing Field episode with Calder Road that like sometimes a place is just a preferable environment for that activity because of the nature of like where it is and what's happened there already. Like, you know, it could happen. And the structure of the hotel is not going to change that much. So if it's a place where you could get away with things, it's going to keep being a place where you can get away with things unless they make big structural and security changes, which maybe they are because they're like, if we want to be a successful hotel, 
This can't happen. Right. Well, and weirdly enough, too, before Alyssa Lamb died, there was a movie with a very, very similar plot. And it was called Dark Water. And it was released in 2005. Someone drowns in the water tank. The main character's name, who was played by Jennifer Connelly, is Dahlia. And her daughter's name is Cecilia. And remember, Cecil Hotel. Another similarity in the movie to both people who drowned in the water tank. So Alyssa and the girl that is found in the movie were both wearing red. And then in both the movie and in real life, the residents were complaining about their water. And so there was one theory, too, that someone tried to recreate that movie. It wasn't even like a, a hit or anything, though. You know, like it was just kind of like a yeah. movie that happened. No one really talked about so as far as like all of these hotels kind of lumping them together as one, the Cecil, I mean, H.H. Holmes, you can't really go to since it's no longer standing, but maybe the area could be weird. I don't know. But have you ever read about any of the theories of energy that like dark energy attracts dark energy, like that kind of vibe? Kind of like there, a lot of people do talk about too, like mm -hmm. mediums or even people that are very sensitive when they go to an area where a lot of tragic things happened, that they kind of feel a heaviness or they feel sad or angry or whatever. And there have been discussions on how energy can stay in one place and sometimes affect mood or affect, in a sense, thoughts because your mood and thoughts kind of go hand in hand, right? Yeah. And that maybe that's why so much of the same terrible thing happening over and over again might be because of a heavy energy in a certain location. Yeah, that that is interesting. And I mean, when we're talking about like, why do things happen where they did for the castle? Mm -hmm. Sure. It's just because H.H. Holmes was a madman, right? In San Carlos, it's it feels like a mixture of like bad timing in the world being the way it is for like the reason why like the bad things happened. So I don't know. It's interesting, though, to think about why some places have a um, concentration of negativity. Did you ever watch Buffy? Of course I did. So it like it's like a Sunnydale vibe, right? Like like why does everything happen here? <laughs> it's a hellmouth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I I could see the Cecil for sure being a hellmouth. It needs more <laughs> vampire slayers. <sighs> for sure. I mean, that count guy was a thing. <laughs> but those are a couple of our favorite hotels. If you have any that you'd like us to cover or you have any fun stories to share, we would love to hear them. And we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. They're listening. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. <laughs>